Hey, welcome to episode number 258 of More Than Bread and episode number eight of our Lent series, Preparing for More. I'm Dan, and I'm your host for our daily dive into Scripture, well, at least five times a week daily. Saturday and Sunday, you can go back and catch up on something else or do your own Bible study and reading, church, whatever you got. For the last few episodes, we've been stuck with Jesus in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4. And you remember what else happened in the wilderness? Israel wandered in the desert. God led Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea across the wilderness to the very threshold of the promised land. He invited them to go in and take the land. But what did they do? Really, they said no. They were afraid, so they refused. They went back into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years. So now Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, not 40 years, but symbolically, I think, for 40 days. And and it's not, I think it's not just a chance beginning to Jesus' ministry. In some way, God is giving Jesus the opportunity to rewrite history. Jesus has a choice to follow God into his promised land or stay stuck in the wilderness. Jesus has come back to rewrite our history and change our future. He's going to show us how to live out God's story. So for one last time, let's read Jesus' wilderness story in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. I'm reading from the New International Version, where it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, We shall not live on bread alone. That is our theme verse, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't it interesting that at every point Jesus uses Scripture, uses the Word of God to go against these temptations, to go against Satan? Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Now, in some sense... These are my words. Satan is not completely lying here because he is the prince of the power of the air. Ever since the fall, ever since the garden, he's he's been given a measure of of authority over our world. So he says to Jesus, "I'll, I'll give you all this authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, It'll all be yours. And I think he's saying, if you worship, if you take a shortcut instead of going to the cross, if you worship me, what did Jesus answer? It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to a test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And all this good stuff took place. And in verse 18, it says, He announced to the people in the synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, don't miss how vulnerable Jesus is during these days. He was physically depleted. He he didn't eat anything for 40 days. He was emotionally isolated. He wasn't just hungry. He was alone. He had nobody to lean on. No one was there to encourage him. He was far from home. 
no cell phone connection, no one is watching, no family to encourage him, no comfortable, safe, soothing surroundings. Physically, emotionally, relationally depleted, vulnerable. And you know what? That is when the enemy attacks in the wilderness. But what did he have? He had the Spirit of God. He had the very Spirit of God, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And listen to me, that very same Spirit is available for us. And oh my goodness, we so need that Spirit. Without the Spirit, we won't make it out of our wilderness. Without that Spirit, we won't be able to live out our calling and make a difference in the world. Jesus' words to his followers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is after the resurrection. But we're after the resurrection. And I want to make sure you know that what Jesus had, you can have. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And don't miss that. When when we receive the power of the Spirit, we We become as witnesses. It's almost like you can't help it. What you do, who you are, the words that come out of your mouth, how we make it through, all of it will tell people about Jesus. That that includes our words, but the words have to be backed up by my life for them to have power, right? I mean, if there's a gap between who I am and what I say, what I say has no power. You know, to be honest, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't tell people about Jesus, because the gap between who I am and what I would say it just it feels too great. <laughs> the gap between who I am and Christ's best version of me is just too wide. We understand the gap between us and God. We're almost more comfortable with that. That's what grace is all about. But the gap between who I am and Christ's best version of me, even that seems wide. Come on, am, am I alone in this? Have you ever been discouraged by the gap between what you do and what you wish you did, who you are and who you wish you would become? I'm not talking about all the time, just enough of the time. Like like you said something that encouraged someone, maybe in the halls at work, you helped a homeless person or maybe just a hopeless person that nobody else noticed. You were patient with a three-year-old that wasn't even your own. You got lost in the wonder of creation and you sensed God's pleasure. You forgave someone, stood up to a bully, or were radically generous, extraordinarily generous. You said something to someone and it was wise and compassionate and gracious and it was exactly what they needed to hear. You made a difference. You loved well in a moment and then you went home and you lost it with your family. Or late at night you dove into pornography or you tore someone down. Quite a few years ago I was working on a sermon on servanthood. It was Thursday evening, big sermon prep time for me at that time, and at some point I went into the bathroom and someone in our family had used too much toilet paper, the toilet was plugged. Now, I didn't know it was plugged until it came time for me to flush, and when I flushed the water, it came almost up to the the top of the rim, but not over, so I thought, well, I'll leave it alone. Maybe it'll take care of itself. (laughs) So I went back to my my laptop, I'm working on my message on servanthood, servanthood, (laughs) I got my headphones on. I'm pondering servanthood and self-denial and living for others. Did I mention that I was working on a message on servanthood? (laughs) About 15 minutes later, I hear gagging. It's Lynn. She's in the bathroom trying to unplug the toilet, and it must have been a little bit worse than I remembered it. I could hear her through my headphones. I kept thinking she would stop gagging when she got it fixed, but 
she wasn't getting it fixed very fast. So of course I pulled my headphones back and turned the music up louder so I couldn't hear. Because <laughs> I hate toilets and it wasn't really my fault. And if she needs me, she'll come and get me. And I'm I'm doing something important. I'm figuring out what to say about servanthood. <laughs> About 90 seconds later, Sarah, my oldest daughter, standing there yelling at me, Mom's gagging. Can you go help her unplug the toilet? Of course I'll go help, say. I'm a servant. And if you think that's the only gap I have when it comes to being a good husband, you're blind, man. Just talk to Lynn. There's a gap between who I am and who God says I'm becoming. There's a gap between the life I'm living and the life Jesus spoke of and promised. And that gap is sin. And, and you know, honestly, I need more. I want more than forgiveness for this gap. I need grace to be sure. But I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be different. And, and that's what Acts 1 and 2 are all about. I mean, imagine for a moment, you can go read it later, but Jesus is sitting with his team. It's after his death and resurrection. They followed him for three years, thought they'd lost him for three days, and now they realize that everything has changed. He's been with them for 40 days. For 40 days, they've been preparing for more. They've been enrolled in Christ's Kingdom Institute. So imagine the scene as Jesus sits with his disciples, his death on the cross, and his awesome victory over death already accomplished. It's his trumpet call of the revolution of life, and his disciples are eager to change the world. And Jesus says, but wait. You're not ready yet. Something is missing. You want to change your world, but first, I have to change you. You want to start a revolution in Jerusalem. It's going to begin with a revolution of your soul. You want to change out there, but it starts in here. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you you heard about this from me, for John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And don't you think Jesus is thinking back to those 40 days? going into the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness. The Greek word here for power means innate ability. Jesus says, I'm going to give you innate ability to be my witnesses. I'll give you an innate ability to live like me and love like me. I'm, I'm going to literally change your soul. Listen, you can't get over an addiction without it. You can't heal your marriage without it. You can't overcome the bitterness without it. You can't be part of changing the world around you with it. And it, the power doesn't come without the Spirit. A few years ago at the Global Leadership Summit, Erwin McManus delivered such a powerful message about living life well. And he talked about the fact that so often our fears establish our boundaries and we think that our pain limits our life. But what if, he said, well, he asked the question, what if God's love and power is greater than our fears? And what if pain is not a limitation to our life, but it's actually a marker, maybe even a doorway to God's dream for us? What if your pain is not there to restrict your life, but it's meant to reveal your dreams, he asked. And if that's the case, and in light of God's plan, we need the power that comes from God's Spirit. We need to stop pretending that the goal of this life is comfort and that faith makes it easier to be comfortable. God's not dreaming about giving us a way out. God dreams about giving us the strength to go through our pain and find his dream. What if our lack of capacity is a GPS signal to his dream for our life. I mean, if that's the case, then there are few things more important than finding power, the power of the Spirit in our wilderness, our wilderness of suffering. Let me just give you three quick challenges that will help you find the power of the Spirit in your wilderness. The first is saturate in Scripture. That's what this 
podcast is all about. And there is such a connection between the Spirit and the Word that there's simply no better place to start. If you do not, if we do not saturate our souls in Scripture, our power will be small. Number two, surrender your control. God says in the psalm, be still and know that I am God. It just means stop striving, surrender control. God does not pour out his spirit on his advisors. <laughs> Way too many of us think we ought to be on God's advisory team. He's not looking for advisors. He's looking for surrendered hearts. I've rarely, maybe never come to a, a greater place of spirit-filled power without going to a deeper place of personal surrender. And number three, ask him for more. Ask him for more. That We're preparing for more. Ask him for more. In Luke 11, Jesus tells a parable about prayer, and he compares us to children and compares God to our Father. And he said, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Some of us get so anxious when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, like, how much of the Spirit do I need? Don't I have enough? Are you saying I don't have enough? Didn't I get it all when I accepted Christ? Do I have to speak in tongues or do something else weird? Because I, I don't know if I want it that much. Listen, the Spirit of God is the power and presence of Christ on the earth. Do you have enough of Christ or do you want more? Do you have enough Christ to be a better husband or wife? Do you have enough Christ to love in the hard places, to forgive the hard people? Do you have enough of the one who went through the wilderness for you? Do you have enough to be his witness in your neighborhood, where you work, in your dorm or your classroom? Do you have enough of him? And if not, then you need more of his Spirit. And the Father says, ask. I'm a good father. I'll give you that gift. I'm not sure that I can think of a better way to prepare for more than to ask for more. In his book, Finding Hope, Where God Seems Silent, Ben Patterson shares a mountain climbing story. It's one of my favorites. It was the summer of 1988, and he and three friends were climbing Mount Lyle, the highest peak in Yosemite National Park. Two of the four were experienced climbers. Two were not. Ben was one of the not. <laughs> It was a difficult journey that would take most of the day to climb and return, due in large measure to the glacier that had to be crossed on the way. And as the hours passed, trudging up the glacier, the two experienced climbers began to open a wide gap between Ben and his less experienced companion. Patterson writes, being competitive by nature, I began to look for shortcuts that I might be able to take to beat them to the top. I thought I saw one to the right of an outcropping of rocks, so I went up deaf to the protests of my companions. But 30 minutes later, he writes, I was trapped in a dead end of rock atop the glacier, looking down several hundred feet of a sheer slope of ice, pitched at a 45-degree angle. I was only 10 feet from the safety of a rock, but one little slip and I wouldn't stop sliding until I landed in the valley floor about 50 miles away. I was stuck. I was stuck, he said. And I was scared. I think Patterson's word provide a, a description of what happens when we think it's all about us. It's all about me winning, me doing things my way, my comfort, my control. Not going to listen to God. Not going to surrender to his spirit. I know a better path far away from the wilderness. And if I do end up in the wilderness, I'm looking for the shortcuts but instead we find ourselves stuck in danger of sliding 50 miles down to the depths of the valley. I don't know, perhaps Patterson's words describe you a little bit now. Ben was stuck and he was scared. It took an hour for his experienced climbing friends to find him standing on the rock 
I want you to picture this. Ben desperately wanted to reach this rock, and one of them leaned out and used an ice axe to chip two little footsteps in the glacier, and then he gave Ben these instructions. Ben, he said, you must step out from where you are and put your foot where the first foothold is. Without a moment's hesitation, then swing your other foot across and land it in the next step, and then reach out and I'll take your hand and I'll pull you to safety. But listen carefully, he said. As you step across, don't lean into the mountain. If anything, lean out a bit. As you step across, don't lean into the mountain. If anything, lean out a bit. Otherwise, your feet could fly out from under you and you'll start sliding down. Lean out a bit, Patterson writes. When I'm on the edge of a cliff, my instinct is to lie down and hug the mountain to become one with it, not lean away from it. I looked at my friend real hard. For a moment, based solely on what I believed to be true about him, I decided to say no to what I felt. I decided to lean away from the mountain and step out toward my friend. It took less than two seconds to find out if my faith was well-founded, and it was. Before this series is over, Some of you may hear the still, small voice of the Spirit of God calling you to lean out. Lean out away from what you think is your last bit of comfort, your last bit of control and security. Listen closely to me. Nothing is more important than taking your eyes off of you, inclining your ears to the voice of God and trusting whatever he calls you to do. Lean away from your comfort. Lean away from your security. Lean away from what you know you can do. In the end, your wilderness is not just about you. Your neighbors might not even know it, but they are desperately counting on you to come through the wilderness and share with them the favor of God. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for each and every person listening. God, thank you that God, thank you that you are a God who calls us to lean away from our comfort, to lean out from the mountain. God, thank you that we can trust you. God, we we put our confidence and, and we put our faith and our trust in so many things other than you, especially ourselves. And I, I pray that in this series, I pray that in the days to come, when we hear the still small voice of your spirit saying, it's time to lean out, it's time to lean away from all the things that you... <laughs> have thought were your security. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the trust. I pray that you'd give us the humble surrender to do what you call us to do. We're so grateful for all that you do for us. Give us your spirit. Give us more of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.